this time, I'm gonna, this time I'm gonna speak for myself. I might need that Bible one day. I'm gonna speak for myself. And I think everything that we've experienced up till now is worth the price of admission. Amen. Okay, so now you get a bonus. <laughs> no extra charge. Listen, uh, first I want to tell you really quickly about what's happening at the. Um, that wasn't important. I, <laughs> I said thank you, honey. I want to make sure nobody get the wrong idea. Just kidding. Uh, in the next two Sundays, as we approach Easter, you know Easter's only three weeks from today. That's cool. Three weeks from today. I love Easter for obvious reasons. I don't believe in God to do great things between now and then, but there's two Sundays before Easter. Next Sunday, the Sunday after is Palm Sunday. And I'm going to be speaking for the next two Sundays on the subject of Easter, but not about Easter Sunday, per se, but things that would be related to the Easter story. Palm Sunday, of course, is two weeks from today. Uh, Next Sunday is going to be a message that I'm calling Remember Me. And uh, I encourage you to be here because I think you're going to see and hear a few things about Easter as we approach Easter Sunday. That'll be different, so I encourage you to be here and and, uh, look forward to to seeing you. So now, I want to also give you guys, you don't have to join in, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you guys a round of applause today for setting your clocks forward. Good job. (laughs) I think there's a few people that maybe forgot to, but that's fine. That's all right. So I'm going to talk today uh, for just a few minutes about something that many of us, if not all of us, know about. Some of us may not as much, but it's a parable. You know, Jesus taught in so many parables. There's there just a marvelous way that he had of communicating to the people, and especially in the time where he was. But this is the parable of the lost sheep. This is in Luke chapter 15. Probably most of you have all heard it, if not uh, as many times as I have. Uh, maybe this will give you a little insight to it today. But I don't think it's something we can think about enough because of the importance of the message that Jesus was teaching in this. There are two significant things of our faith that are contained in this parable. Of course, Luke chapter 15 has three parables, and they're all sort of you know similar to the, the message, prodigal son, the lost queen. You know, it, it, but it's, it, it's different. But, but similar, but the entire chapter 15 is, is contained with these three parables. This is the first one all we're going to talk about today. But significant parts of our faith is what this particular parable talks about, and, and that is, uh, amongst other things, but, but two main things, repentance and joy. Repentance and joy. Now, I can imagine that most of us in here, if not all, but most of us in here, have had a time in our life when we knew that we were lost. Anybody remember those days? Yeah. Now, how many people remember the time and be thankful when you were found? Amen? Now, some of us, and I speak for myself in this, have been to a place where we were lost, we were found, and then we wandered off again into this place that maybe wasn't the best place to be. But guess what? Because we have a faithful God, he came and he found me again. He came and he found me again. So there's times in the the timeline of our life that we can know when we were lost, when we were found, maybe there's more than one, or maybe where we drifted away, wandered away a little 
some people feel like they're lost today in this place today. And that's okay. You know that this parable, though, also tells us about a God, our God, who is loving and totally committed to the pursuit of our soul. Our God is totally committed to the pursuit of our soul. He wants to lift us up from wherever we are. Wherever we are. We might be way down here. We might be here. But he wants to lift us up from wherever we are and bring us into an intimate, personal, loving relationship with him. How many people understand that? How many people believe that? His desire for us is to move us from wherever we are and lift us up into a more personal, a more intimate, and a more loving relationship with him. Here's the word that's been on my heart, and I've shared with a few people around here, some of you may remember, over the last few weeks, I don't know, it's just been something the Lord put in my spirit, and that is this, pursuing. God is pursuing us. God is pursuing you. God is pursuing you and you and you and you and you and you. He is pursuing us. He's not waiting for us to come to him. Yes, we all have to come to repentance. We have to accept him. But he's not waiting for that. He's not standing back somewhere, you know, twiddling his thumbs, thinking, well, okay, at some point when you guys get it together, come see me. That's not God. God is pursuing us. He is pursuing us with his love every single day. Now, I'm going to read this. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. If you have a device, an iPad, U version on your phone, doesn't matter. It's all the Word of God. Amen. If you've got the Word of God somewhere in your hand, some people have criticized the idea of getting away from the old Bible. I've got them all. I don't mind having extra places to have the Word of God around me. How about you? <laughs> I'll take every place I can access it. So if you have whatever it is that you're doing, and you're looking at Luke chapter 15, here's what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Heavenly Father, I ask that every word that is spoken is from you today. I ask that it minister to people at the point of their need. I ask that under the anointing that these words penetrate and encourage and challenge everyone in this house today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I've struggled over the last number of years, all the years I've known this story, to understand about the 99. I got the idea of the parable, okay? But the 99, what about them? Here here they are out left in the open field. The 99, the reason they have shepherds, by the way, is because there are predators that would come against sheep. Wolves, coyotes, whatever they might be, they want to devour them. They want to eat them. Plus, also, sheep are notorious for wandering away. 
That's why the shepherds, as we've seen them, they have to sort of herd them together and keep them together and moving them in the right direction as to where they want them to go. So I thought, well, man, you're leaving the 99 for the one. So I've never understood the, the 99. I, I, I was wondering, you know, like, and I do stuff like this. I'm, I'm weird, so excuse me. But if I was in the group of sheep, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> hey, shepherd, <laughs> what's going on, man? What are you doing? You're leaving us out here. Don't you know there's 99 of us? You're leaving us out here. What if the wolves come? What if some of these goofballs behind me, I'm talking about if it's the leader of the sheep, right? He's going to say, what about these other goofballs that aren't as smart as me decide they're going to wander off? What's going to happen? You're going after one. You're going to come back. Nobody's going to be here. We're going to be dead. What's going on, man? I think that. What were they saying? Did they look around and say that? Or were they just not doing any of that and just, just chilling? Just, you know, eating their grass and laying in the sun and, you know, hanging out, doing what sheep do. Probably that's what it was. <laughs> but what I was thinking is if, if, if we were a part of the 99, us, what would we be saying about the shepherd leaving us? If we were doing that, we'd probably be saying, where are you going? Why are you leaving us out here by ourselves? What are you doing? The 99 out of 100 isn't that bad if you look at it in the context of how we view things. How many people have ever taken any and any academic endeavor a test? I don't see many hands, so I'm assuming I'm talking to an uneducated crowd. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you've taken any test, by the way, there's quizzes, tests, and exams. I took an exam a couple of weeks ago. An exam. That's bigger than a test. And I worked hard. I'm going to tell you, I, I put some time into it. And guess what? I got a 95. I'm not boasting. I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I got a 95, though, and I thought, man, you know, I worked really hard. And I thought, man, a 95, good. And then the first thing I thought of, what did I miss to get 95 points? It was driving me nuts. So I went back and looked at it, and it was actually, well, I don't think it was a trick question, but have you ever had one of those questions that you have the answer, and it could be one of two answers, and you're like, wait, this answer's right. That was me. I was like, but I said, you know what? I'm not going to worry about it. I got the 95. 95 is pretty good, right? Well, 99 is better than 95. I don't know much about things, but I know that. So if I get a 99 out of 100, that's pretty good. So by most counts, when people are thinking, He's got 99. Why would he go after the one? But so why would he leave the 99? What what happens to them? Well, the scripture really doesn't tell us, actually. It tells us what happens to the one. tells us about the celebration. But it doesn't talk about the 99. So I'm going to tell you, uh, we do, well, we do know this. Let me put what we do know about it. We don't know what happened to the 99, but we do know about the one. And when the shepherd found him, he came home. And in verse 6, it says this, verse 6, chapter 15 of Luke and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Now, when you call your friends and your neighbors together to come in and rejoice or be happy with you, what do we call that? What do we call that? A party. I want you to say that with me. We call that a Okay, Too many, how many people, because I'm going to raise my hand first, believe that we as believers need to have more parties? 
I'm not talking about partying like the world now. We don't need all that stuff, do we? Because we've got the truth on our side. We've got Jesus Christ working in our lives and developing us. That's a cause to have a party every day, I believe. So this is what it was. It was a party. Had a party. So I'm going to tell you this story really quick in my turn. I, when I read the scripture sometimes, not all the time, but I try to look at it in a way to try to put myself in the time and visualize things. I'm a very visual person. I, in my previous life and career, I worked at a Christian television station for a number of years, worked in the television industry for a number of years, and I considered myself at that time to be a creative person, and I always try to look at things visually. So I think as uh, this story goes along, I'm going to tell it to you in this version. The, the, the scripture I was reading to you just a moment ago was from the ESV. That's the English Standard Version. I read several different versions when I'm uh, studying Scripture or preparing for things, or just in general. The English Standard Version, King James Version, KJV. Um, the NLT, the New Living Translation, I like that. The Amplified Bible, I like to read that. Um, there's the NIV, the, the New uh, International Version. Um, so the, and there's a lot, there's, there's many, many others. And there's also things that are known as paraphrases, just little more commentaries on, on things. And so there's a lot of ways you can sort of digest the scripture and let it sort of speak to you. What I'm going to share with you right now is what's, it's a, it's a new one that's out. It's called the BSV, the Billy Story Version. The BSV. I'm looking to get that on Amazon soon, so. <laughs> but, so this story starts with Jesus. He's in his ministry. He's going around the countryside and he's ministering to people in all different places. He's He's, he's healing the sick. He's teaching. He's preaching. He's, he's preaching and speaking to people that are in groups of thousands on a mountainside, and he's going into people's homes. Jesus preached and taught in the mega churches and in the small groups. He did it all. He, didn't, he wasn't a respecter of anything. Where it is that I can do something to impart my teaching and this mission that I'm on to talk about, the kingdom of God, I'm going to do it, wherever it is. That's what Jesus did. I think that's what a lot of times we should do. So he traveled all around. And you know, everywhere they went back in those days, they had to walk. I always thought, man, these guys must be fit. You know what I mean? Those disciples and Jesus, they had to be pretty healthy, strong guys. Because they were out there walking everywhere they went. How many people were in Israel on the trip we went in October? Tell me if you don't have to walk in Israel. And we have buses. <laughs> we still had to walk all over the place. It's a, uh, it, it, it's a lot of walking that they did. So they also then had to fuel their bodies, right? They had to eat. So I'm sure they ate breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All the time that Jesus was in ministry for three years, that would be three meals a day times 365 days for three years, basically. He fasted part of that. But, so, but that's a lot of meals. Not many of those recorded in the Scripture. But they still had to eat. I think when he was eating... He was, he was ministering to people. It might have been in homes. It might have been in, in places where he went, where they gathered together, broke bread together. And he was ministering to people during those times. So all along the way, they had to be eating. So I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, well, in the BSV, my story, I'm thinking Jesus is putting a meeting together. And he's telling the disciples, hey, look, I've got a great idea. I want us to get together all of the Pharisees and all of the 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 high society folks. I want to bring the publicans, the, I, I want the, the, the respected teachers. I want them all to come 
together and we're going to have a dinner and I'm going to speak to them. And I bet those disciples, I bet they were saying, that's a good idea. Jesus, good one, man. Good idea. Let's do that. Oh, yeah. And here's the next thing I want to do. I want to bring the tax collectors and the sinners and the non-observant Jews. I want to bring them into this dinner all together and speak to them, too. And then I can see them like, hmm, now wait a minute. Uh-uh. <laughs> Jesus, you might want to rethink that one. These folks don't get along. You know that, right? They don't get along at all. They don't like each other, or I would say that the, the higher upper crust didn't like the others. They didn't think they were worthy. So he invited respected teachers, but not so respected. But he expected everyone to be together. Now, what was he thinking? You know, I think that's what the disciples probably were asking. What are you thinking to do this? This is just not, it's not going to go well. And when he did this, Jesus didn't have the idea that he was going to have a head table. Has anybody ever been to an event, a wedding, or a program or something where there's the head table? And you sit out here and everybody else, the the real important people, the cool people, get to sit at the head table. Jesus didn't have a head table at this thing. He was going to bring them all together and mix them all together, and that was the idea. Now, again, I'm I'm not expanding on the gospel here. I'm telling you my visual idea of how this happened. I'm not rewriting the scripture just so you'll know But he was thinking, look, he is not going to make any attempt at all to separate these high officials and these respected teachers from the sinners. He wasn't going to do that. Non-observant Jews is what they were referring to mostly because they weren't worthy. He wanted them to sit together beside each other and break bread together. He wanted them to all be at the table together, teacher beside sinner, Pharisee beside tax collector, He wanted the 99 and the lost all together at one. One family, one fellowship, one table talking about the kingdom of God. This is what Jesus was doing. It was what he was doing everywhere. But then, if you can imagine this now, so here's all this thing, and all these people come together, they're showing up, and now the criticism starts. Think about that now. Anybody can believe that somebody would criticize something? I can hear it now. Can you believe that he invited these people to this thing? What in the world is going on? Does he expect us to eat with them? And then there's two of them talking. Then there's this other guy over here that wants to chime in because he's got to get his two cents worth in. And he comes over and says, yeah, that's right. I came in here thinking that I was going to be hanging out with the, with the, with the upper crowd, with the, with the respected people. And now he's got all these people in here. What in the world is he thinking? Then the next guy hears that and says, yeah, you wouldn't even believe this. I heard he was in Nazareth and they tried to throw him off a cliff. I mean, I can just hear this. This is the kind of thing that happens. People start grumbling and complaining, and it rises and it gathers. And if you don't put a stop to it, I'm going to get off on the side note here for a minute. When you hear criticism, if you don't put a stop to it, it gathers and it grows. And negative talk and criticism and backbiting and gossip has no place in the family of God. Amen? And it didn't have any place there, but here's the point. They were all in there grumbling, and I could see it just coming up to where this this noise level. I could hear it. Doesn't he know these people aren't clean? Doesn't he know that we can't eat with them? These people don't follow the law. The law. He was going to turn that whole thing upside down in a few weeks. The law. These people are unacceptable, God. Grumbling gets louder. 
Jesus in the amazing way that he was, the calm, humble person that he was, he saw this as a teachable moment. You know what a teachable moment is? I don't know if you, many of you guys know this or not. Uh, my wife and I, we operate an early learning center. Early learning center, we have 150 children between two years old and five years old, Monday through Friday, coming into one building. Let me tell you something. I know a lot about teachable moments. I talk about teachable moments at that place every day I'm there. And there's a teachable moment just about every moment. <laughs> when you got two to five-year-olds and 150 of them milling around and doing things. Of course, they're not all in one room. That would be undoable. <laughs> but we have different classrooms. But, but there's teachable moments. I believe Jesus saw them and saw a teachable moment. He said, look, this is my opportunity now to speak truth into this situation. And I'm going to explain it in a way they're going to understand. Let me tell you this. I'm going to jump off just a second here, too, on this. How many people consider yourself a good learner? I hope so. Everybody's hand goes up, and it doesn't matter if you don't. I understand. Everybody raise your hand. But I do want to say this. If you are not a good learner, we're not learning, we're not living. And I don't mean that in physical life like I'm breathing air today. I mean, we're not living in the fullness of what Jesus Christ wants to do in developing us, in moving us forward, and getting us closer to him. We're not living. We're just going along and walking along the path. We're not really living in the fullness of all he has for us. If we're not learning, we're not living. I encourage you all, be a learner. And the next part of that is this. You can't be a good teacher if you're not a good learner. How many agree with that? Let me say this. Jesus told us in Matthew and in many other places, but he said specifically, he commanded us, in fact, teach everyone what I'm teaching you. Teach what I'm teaching. Now, he probably also meant teach it. Exactly the way I'm teaching it. Don't add your own things into it. Don't try to make it more than it. Just teach this truth that I'm teaching you. He commanded us to do that, in fact. To teach others what he taught them. So to be a good teacher, though, you've got to be a good learner. If you're not, you can't be a good teacher. And I encourage people who are believers to teach others in the way of the Lord. But you need to continue to be a good learner need to always be listening. Pastor Bill, are you a good learner? Amen. I'm going to tell you something. That's the truth now. If anybody could say, you know what? I got it. I got it. And not learn anymore, it would be him, right? I mean, it would be. But he's not. He's a learner. He's always trying to learn something. And if you're willing to learn and you want to be a good teacher and you want to be a good learner, God will reveal truth to you every single time you open the book. He'll do it. I've read things, and I, well, anyway, I won't get into that. But if you want to be a good teacher, you may be a good learner. So Jesus purposely, intentionally, he asked this question, verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that has lost until he finds it? See, now I think the worldly answer to that would have been, well, hey, Jesus, if you're sort of asking that question, even though he wasn't really asking it as an interrogative, as a specific question, but he was really 
trying to get them to think about it. But if you were, the worldly answer would be, I'm, nobody's going to go after that one. We're going to keep the 99. You go after him, you're going to take a risk that the predators are going to come in. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You can't do that. You're risking a lot. You might lose them all. I think that's what the world would say. But Jesus said this. He said, no, don't think of it that way. Think of it like this. God is like a shepherd who will search high and low for that one child of God. Because we're all children of God. Every one of us. He's like that shepherd. That's who God is. That's what he was trying to communicate. And that no one, no one, not one single person that you've ever seen, that you've ever known, that you've ever encountered. Not one single person is of so little value in the eyes of God that he will not search everywhere for that sheep. You know why? Because he's pursuing you. God is pursuing you. And not just after you come to know him, he's always pursuing you. He's pursuing you for a deeper relationship. He's pursuing you for a more intimate time with him. He's pursuing you to spend more time with him. He's pursuing you. Let me tell you something. He will go east to west, north to south, top to bottom, in and out. It doesn't matter. He will go anywhere he needs to go to pursue you with his love. That's God. That's the nature of God. That's his character. And let me tell you something else. He'll go into every dark place pursuing you with the light of his love. Every dark place that you've ever been, that you may be now, or that hides somewhere in your, in your soul, in your spirit, every dark place, he'll go in there and he'll find you with the light of his love. Because he is pursuing. Say that with me. He is he's pursuing us. So as the BSB version, the story ends, I'm still left with questions. He left the 99. Left the 99. So I get that he wants us to know that he went after the one. I get that. But I believe that this 99 represents something. And I believe God is saying this. Clearly, to me, those 99 are as precious to me as the one. Just because the one is going to have the party because of repentance, that's great. But the 99 are still as important to me. They're all my children. They're all my children. They're all a part of the family of God. And here, get this. The 99 is not the complete family of God until the one comes back. The 99 is not complete until the one comes back. So you have to go after the one. You have to do that. You have to take the risk. You have to be bold. You have to be willing. Because the family of God is not complete until we get that one. God wants relationship with all of his children, not just 99 out of 100. Even though in the world's eyes that sounds good, that's a good scorecard, that's not what he wants. He wants the family of God to be complete. He wants relationship with all of us. Do you know this, and you do probably, do you know that we were created, God created us to first be in relationship with him? That's why he created us. Great is to be in a relationship, a loving, intimate, wonderful relationship with him. And he also created us to be in a relationship with one another. There's a lot of one another's in the Bible. Does anybody know how many there are? I'll preach about that another time. There's a lot of one another's. But you know what he wants us to do? He wants us to be in a relationship with one another. He wants us to pray for one another. He wants us to confess to one another. He wants us to support one another, to encourage one another, to love one another. There's a 
the reason that there are is because he wants us to be in relationship with each other as well. It's a part of the family of God. So until all the sheep are found, the family's not complete. Let me ask you this. Where do you find yourself today? If you were asked a question, you don't have to answer. Are you the 99 or are you the one today? Do you think you're in the 99 today or are you in the one today? I will tell you that whichever the answer is, whatever the answer is, it it doesn't change anything in terms of God's eyes and how he looks at you. And here's why. Because everyone, no matter where you are in your life today, is equal in the sight of God. You're equal. He's not more important than you are or that I am. I'm not more important. Billy Graham's not. And let me tell you, I, there, I, I, man, <laughs> I get to talking about Billy Graham. I'm going to break down because he, I admire him so much. But you know the one thing that Billy Graham knew more than anything? The one thing he did more than anything, all the things that he did, and all the accolades he had, and all the celebrity that he was a big star, you guys. He was on The Tonight Show. You know what I mean? Not once, many times. He was he played golf with presidents. Our big, you know, and I'm not criticizing anybody, but the big preachers today, the big TV evangelists or the big church preachers, all those guys, they don't do all that. Billy Graham was the man. He had every reason in the world to think, hey, I'm Billy Graham. I'm the man. But you know what kept him humble? And the one thing he had more than anything amongst a lot of wonderful qualities, the one thing more than anything was his humility. You know what kept him humble? You know what kept him humble was this one simple thing. He knew he was a sinner. Billy Graham was a sinner. That might come as a shock to some of you. He's a sinner. The only reason that he was able to do anything, the only reason he lived, the only reason his life had any reason to be on this earth was because he was saved by grace. And he knew it. And, he, and, he, and because he knew it so passionately and so deeply and believed it so greatly, he was able to do wonderful and marvelous things under the direction of the Holy Spirit in terms of the crusades and evangelism and all the lives that he touched. But it wasn't because of what he did. It was God working through him because he knew he was just a sinner. He was like all the rest of us. That's how we all are, by the way. There's nobody higher or lower. Everyone's equal. Inside of God, everybody's important. So it doesn't matter if you're in the 99 or the 1. Because guess what? Listen to this. You may be the 1 today or you may be the 99 today, but tomorrow you're going to be in the other group. It, the 99 and the 1 is not something that's just about salvation. I want you to understand this very clearly. The 99 and the 1 is not talking about when they say repentance and, and the heavens rejoicing, and that's the parable that Jesus teaches. He's not just talking about when you get saved or when you accept Christ. He's talking about every time you repent. That's what it's about. It's about repentance. That's what it says. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. He didn't say one sinner that gets saved. Now, when you get saved, that's a repentance, and then you're, you're at the party. <laughs> celebrating you. But guess what? If you fall down and mess up, does anybody fall down and mess up? I got a lot of amens on that one. Does anybody fall down and mess up? Amen. I do. But you know what? I'm the one. And he's going to go and reach out that hand, that love, that compassion, 
that doesn't treat me any different than anybody else. And he's going to say, Billy, come on over. And I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And you know what? At that moment, instantaneously, he does it. He forgives you right then. There's no delay. There's no application. There's no paperwork you have to turn in. You ask for it, you get it. Because that's the God he is. He wants us all. So today, I might be in the 99, but tomorrow I might be the one. Today, you may be the 99, but tomorrow you will be the one. I can tell you this. If you live on this earth, you will be the one at some point. And if, you are, if, you're, if you're the one, don't you want a loving and gracious and compassionate God whose love is freely given and doesn't judge you? It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Don't you want him coming after you? You know why he'll do it? Because he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you. It doesn't matter if you're in the 99 or the 1. It doesn't matter about all of that. Because God invites us all to the table. So no matter where it is, if you ha- it, one thing is for sure. You either have been or will be the 1. You either have been or will be the 1. And my guess is you will be the 1. Again and again and again. <laughs> So, listen, that, as I close here, when we, and you guys can come, when we hear this familiar parable, we're, we're reminded of this, I think. If we are the 99, then don't we have an obligation to refocus our attention and refocus what we're doing to what God wants to do in Clay County? I want you to hear that again. If we're the 99, isn't it our obligation right now as the 99 to do things in this fellowship, in this body, in this family, to go and find out and, and put feet and legs and go out and take action on what God wants to do in Clay County. Because there are people out there who are the one. There are more than more than that, but they're the one. And we need to, as a fellowship, recognize that and go after them. So, if we're the 99, lost sheep, wherever you find yourself today or tomorrow, we're all, all invited to God's table. The respected and the not so respected. The saved and the lost. The leaders and the followers. The rich and the poor. The elite and the non-elite. The clean and the dirty. The tattooed and the non-tattooed. And every other category He wants us to sit next to each other, break bread together, pray for one another. And if there's one that needs to be gone out and gone after, he wants us to go after the one. Now let me tell you this. I encourage you today, whatever whatever you're facing and whatever you're dealing with, it could be a little, it could be a lot. It could be that you need to rededicate yourself to living for the Lord. It could be that you haven't accepted Christ today. I don't know. But I know this, I know this, that I want you today, as you are in this service and as you leave here, I want you to see yourself as God sees you, and he sees you, whatever you're going through, as the one. He sees you as the one, and he is pursuing you today. He's pursuing you today. He doesn't need head tables and seating assignments and hierarchy, because we're all welcome at the table of God.
me tell you this. See yourself as he sees you, as that one. You're struggling with something today. Maybe you're struggling with, with pain in your body. Maybe you're struggling with depression today. You're the one he's pursuing. You're the one today that he's pursuing. Maybe you've been offended by somebody in the church or somewhere else. Maybe you've had an offense that you're carrying around. Maybe it's resulted in in growing in your spirit as unforgiveness. He's pursuing you today because you're one. He's pursuing you today because maybe you spoke to somebody harshly. Maybe you were at a restaurant and treated a waiter or a waitress not properly. Or or, or, or maybe yelled even if they didn't hear you at a person that cut you off and said something inappropriate that cut you off in traffic. It doesn't matter. Whatever it is that you need to make right, how big or how small, he's pursuing you today because you're the one. You're the one today. He's reaching out to you today. You may have addictions in your life, maybe bad habits. Maybe you watch the wrong TV shows and you say, I don't need to watch those soap operas or I don't need to watch that reality TV. Or maybe I don't even need to watch the news with all the negativity and hateful talk that goes on on the news channels nowadays. I've never seen anything like it. Maybe that's what he's convicting you about. But let me tell you, if that's what it is that's got a hold of you, that's turning your life into something that you don't want it to be, and it's a foothold that will turn into a stronghold, let me tell you something today. He is pursuing you today because you're the one. You're the one he's coming after today. There's a song that these guys are going to sing, and I'm going to ask everybody to stand and sing this with us. It's not hard. But I'm going to tell you this. See yourself as God sees you. He sees you as the one today. And this is what the words of this song says. Listen to me now. There's no shadow he won't light up. No mountain he won't climb up. Coming after you. When he's coming after you, he's pursuing you, church. There's no wall he won't kick down. Or lie he won't tear down. Coming after you. He's pursuing you. He wants what's best for you. He is arriving at your life with good intentions. If we just yield to him, surrender our will to his will, empty out yourself of us and everything that's important to us and replace it and fill it up with all of the things that he wants to do. He's coming after you today. He's pursuing you today. And there's no place. 